nothing is so fleeting as sporting achievement and nothing so lasting as the recollection of it. This is the Couch Talk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Couch Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Subhash Jairaman, a.k.a. Cricket Couch on Twitter. Um, I'm delighted to be joined on this episode by two gentlemen who have written a book on T20, the first of its kind. It's called uh, Cricket 2.0, Inside the T20 Revolution, Tim McMore and Freddie Wilde. Tim is a journalist with The Telegraph in the UK, and Freddie works with uh, the cricket analysis company CrickViz, and also works with uh, broadcasters and T20 teams around the world as an analyst. Welcome to the show, Freddie and Tim. Hi, mate. Thanks. How's it going? Thanks for having us. Uh, pleasure, pleasure having uh, you know such young guns on the show. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, regarding the book, congratulations first and foremost. Um, second, you know, you've been on the uh, Final Word podcast with Jeff and uh, Colo, and you've been with Karthikeya on the Cricketing View podcast, and uh, you've talked to uh, Tim. In this case, you have talked to Cutler on the Emerging Cricket podcast about the book, the whys and the hows, and uh, the drug testing and the doping and uh, match fixing stuff. Now, the listeners should go to those wonderful podcasts and uh, can learn about the book and all those things. Um, I want to get into a specific section of your book that talks about um, the sport itself and the data involved. And, uh, you know, one of the recommendations you've made is, or predictions you've made is how there's going to be a, there will be a significant change on how T20 is talked about, etc. So with that in mind, um, I'll come to uh, you, Freddie, first, and then we can go to Tim. Uh, you know, the cricket scorecard, you know, whether you see it on Crickinfo or some other website, you know, it's, it's got a static look for many, many years, uh, you know, from the newspaper days to now even at the online. Um, with a sport like T20, where the uh, dynamics uh, between bat and ball and all the strategies and everything else involved... Uh, we still use the same kind of uh, scorecard. Um, if you had all the power in the world to change how cricket T Twenty scorecard should look like, what would what would you do? What do you think uh, ideal T Twenty scorecard uh, should look like so that people can get the information and understand what must have happened in the game? It, it's a good question. I mean, it's actually quite an interesting one. At CrickViz, we do quite a lot of thinking about this kind of stuff, and we've, we've been involved in, in some discussions about how we can sort of try and redesign the scorecard for different formats, actually. And I mean, I think that the, the basic scorecard itself probably is still uh, essential in the, in the sense of sort of listing the 11 batsmen, the five or six bowlers, and, and their respective uh, bowling figures and, and scores. Um, I think that there's there's quite a lot of stuff you can do on sort of like an over by over basis. Mm. Um, I, the game the game is um, quite clearly broken up into different phases. There's the power play, the middle overs, and the death overs, in which quite the, the nature of cricket played is quite different. Um, and I think you know we've sort of experimented with kind of like sort of block um, a, a block for each over, um, and sort of teams that have won the over are sort of coloured in a certain colour, and you can sort of then you know by you just just glancing at this block of 20 colors if you like each mm. block representative of an over you can see how sort of the balance of power has shifted through the game you know a team might get off to a flyer and score you know 60 70 for none after after six overs and then in the middle overs things might be pulled back by the spinners and you might see you can sort of see with this visualization a, a, a shifting of of the balance of power within the game 
Um, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, um, a lot of things we, you could potentially do um, to try and sort of tell the story of the game better. Because, uh, you know, as, as you said, I think the traditional scorecard serves its purpose for, for longer forms of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in, in, in the shorter in the shorter formats, uh, where uh, as I said, the game the game is so clearly split into these different phases, and I, I, I think it's it's appropriate to try and break it down not just across the whole 20 overs but but those phases specifically as well it's a good question though and a different than one with no clear answer uh, i mean uh... yeah yeah no so if i could just jump in i think what would be really great to have is some sort of sort of very simple catch or number you know kind of player impact is it positive or negative because the point is if you go you know if you're a seam bowler say and you go for one for 32 in the middle overs, that's that's a pretty poor effort. Mm. You're bowling four at the death, that's a very good effort. And it's kind of, you know, so you, you can, those figures, they can be either either actually very good or very or, or pretty poor. Um, and look at their raw numbers, tells you nothing about whether they're good or poor. So actually having, having those, having that kind of positive or negative impact would be really good. And the same in some ways applies to batsmen. So if you get 30 or 15 balls and you're... Uh, well, thirty fifteen is a bad example because that's always got good innings. But let's say if you get, you know, um, if if you get thirty or off twenty two balls mm. in the middle overs, that's sort of fine. It's not amazing, but it's fine. If you do that at the death, that's that's sort of pretty poor. Um, so I think for those batting and bowling, perhaps especially bowling, we need a way to contextualize those those numbers because uh, actually, if you're uh, because scouting and the way players are bought hasn't always been that sophisticated. You know, actually, if you're uh, a seamer, if you bowl in the middle overs, that's been an easy way to massage your figures and then go into leagues at a level that maybe your performance isn't actually meriting. I'm, I'm just trying to imagine a scenario where, you know, if the test match is going on because of the history of the game and how we have learned the game, understand the rhythms of the game. So you could jump in at any point and ask them, what's the score? And somebody gives you the score and you pretty much have a very good idea of uh, how the teams would have arrived at that score. So, um, you know, the suggestions that you both of you have made, um, you know, would would go a long way in uh, addressing that. I'm also looking at, you know, uh, in uh, NFL um, or Major League Baseball games, if you go to ESPN.com, they give you the win probability of the two teams uh, as the game progresses over nine innings or the four quarters. And also, obviously, you have... Uh, wins above replacement uh, stat, and also you have uh, the plus or minus in uh, plus and minus in basketball, NBA. So I think it's a combination of those three things, would you say, kind of adds to yeah. uh, the flavor of T20 scorecard? Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of what I was getting at with, with the grid of, of who won each over. I mean, at Crickviz, we've got a win probability model. It would be based on that. That's the idea, you know, of... of of you know, if, there, if there's been a swing of I don't know maybe more than three or four percent towards one team, then you say they've won that over, and I think just quite quite quickly then you could get a sense of how the game sort of the ebbs and flows of the game, and or you know it could, it could even just be a basic bar chart uh, or sorry a line graph with with their win probability. But you're right. I mean other other sports, especially American sports, have so much so many more numbers to help tell the story of the game rather than it rather than the scorecard just simply being a record of what happened. Um, you know, a quite a quite raw, basic version of what happened. 
um, you know, as, as you said, tapping into those you know, win probability models and also, as, as Tim alluded to, sort of player impact ratings, um, we can get a far better idea of how the game has progressed. And I think this leads quite nicely onto sort of um, our more, the way that we more generally understand the game because I think that the developing these uh, or, 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 or the, increasing the profile of these kind of measures, because they do exist, mm. uh, is, is essential to us understanding the game and, and I think then talking about the game in, in, in a more nuanced way. Um, you know, it, it, as Tim said, it's very difficult to tell just simply from the scorecard whether an innings of 30 or 22 is, is a good one. Um, and, and I think that that makes analysis and, and sort of discourse around the game quite quite complicated, especially for newer fans. Um, but, but but you know, a basic you know minus eight or plus four or whatever is a little bit clearer as to whether that innings had a positive or negative effect on on, on the team's chance of winning. Um, and I think that that ultimately should enhance everyone's understanding and, and probably improve the way we talk about the game because it's still fairly rudimentary. Um, a lot of the discussion that goes on around T20 outside a, a very small group of people in the corner of Twitter. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I, I think you know, not, not only would it be good for, for, for nerds like us, but I think it would be good more generally for, for, for people understanding the game. Yeah, yeah. So in our book, we, we talk about the wins above replacement model is that it's used by England and we discussed it with Nathan Lehman who helped develop it and with Owen Morgan, um, obviously the, the captain. And Morgan talked about how it, it was useful because it was useful because for a question of team balance. Um, so one example England have had a few times in their T20 team um, pre, pre the drugs incident was do England pick Alex Hales or maybe like a bowler or, or David Willey say mm. and obviously that's not a like for like comparison so that's it's not like a straight ranking of who's a better batsman but where it's useful is if you you have this good model and you can say well actually we simulate this game 10,000 times are we more to win with Hales or, or Willey or mm-hmm. whoever um, so that's that's an example of it already being used in a real you know by a real team World Cup champions, no less, in, in ODI cricket, um, and that's and that sort of thing um, would be very good for for actually teams when deciding who should get as their overseas player. Because we talked about how playing certain roles, it's maybe easier to massage your your stats. You know, another example would be a batsman who scores at quite a low strike rate, um, but has a good average. So actually, teams using a wins above replacement model in a clever way to say, you know, who's going to to win us more matches as an overseas player would be pretty smart, especially when comparing non-like with like. And as a team balance issue, that's often so, so important. And and more so probably than it, than in test matches. You, know, you guys predict that the language of T20 will evolve and change and you know people will be able to wrap their minds around it and have a completely different syntax and talk in that language so that everybody following T20 can understand, the commentators and the analysts speak, and then people can understand. But, you know, people need to, you know, it's not like suddenly one day you give them all the tools and the languages and everybody is an expert. Uh, but so it's a slow process. And I thought one of the steps in the process is how is a match report written? You know, I remember um, talking to or listening to somebody, uh, I think it was uh, Sambit Bal, um, about how the... Um, old ways of writing the match report is kind of dead. Um, you know, we need to provide more information. Tim, this question is specifically for you. When you write for a T20 match uh, versus, say, uh, a day of test cricket, how, how do you write those 500 to 800 words? Yes, it's a good good question. Um, I, think it's, I think in some ways T20 lends itself better as, as some 
some US sports do actually to sort of features around issues as opposed to that kind of on the whistle piece. But I suppose, well, the essence of it, you know, you want to capture a bit of the drama and the scene, but you also want to explain how that game was won and lost. So I guess it's about, you know, looking at those those areas which which may have have swung a game and maybe it's sort of a tactical decision, you know, someone hasn't bowled spin enough and one team hasn't and so on. Um, that that's an important part of of doing that. Um, obviously, you know, with a game like you know the last forty twenty final, you know, people. I mean, the drama of those 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 sixes is an incredible story, um, and that's what people want to want to read about more than anything. But even even there, you have the fact um, that three of those four sixes were hit to the longer boundary on the leg side, which is which is very interesting. Um, and we actually and and. And that kind of explains you know, how England were trying to build to him in that case. And in fact, uh, in our book, we, we, we talk with uh, with Carlos Brathwaite and he talks about how he was trying to, uh, how West Indies analyst had had told him that Stokes was likely to try and make him hit to the longer side of the boundary, which is the leg side. And he sort of second-guessed that and was able to do that brilliantly. So actually, that's an example where an element of contextualising um, in, in, in a match report helps to tell a really 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 good 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 story um but i think i think we are as industry probably still the t20 match report it's still you know how to nail that is still so, sort of a work in progress you know i i would argue that sometimes as a as a reader rather than a match report i would just rather read one really smart analysis piece on a game um but then you have the kind of old school demands of you know if a match report is the you know what was was expected to be in a certain slot or whatever. Hmm. Um, that yeah, the um, writing of the report itself. You know, you have to have. You know, somebody had asked Carlos Rathwaite as to you know, uh, why did you try to hit these shots at these locations? That means you have, as a reporter writer, you have delved into numbers in T uh, Twenty and also are aware that numbers like that are tracked. Uh, and you need to see that there is a pattern of that evolving on the field so that you know to ask the question. You know, Brathwaite perhaps is not going to offer information if, if, if you haven't specifically prodded him. So what is the general um, understanding of data within uh, cricket and more specifically T20 amongst your uh, fellow uh, cricket reporters and correspondents, uh, not just in England, but around the world, um, and how up-to-date are people and willing to accept that this is the way it's going to be going and they should, you know, get up on this? The short, the short answer is, is not, not very, I would say. I mean, I think that there's, there's, there, there are a few, um, a few journalists and, and people in the media and TV I've come across who are willing to accept or understand, I suppose, the sort of different nature of T20 and the, and the, the importance of numbers. I mean, even, even something basic like the fact that a wicket in the first over of the innings is, is more valuable than a wicket in the 10th over of the innings. Mm-hmm. It's something that I think, it, you know, it, it, it is one of the sort of uh, central laws, if you like, governing the way that the game of T20s are played. And it's something that I, I would say that not many people, I think people or people in the media probably would accept it, but I'm not sure that they would sort of consider it in a, you know, when they are writing the match report, hmm. um, it, it, that, that basic fact, the sort of diminishing value of, of the wicket and therefore um, increased attacking intent through the innings, these two, two sort of things that are central to the way the game is played is something I'm not sure people sort of um, maybe think about in, as much as they should. Um, and that's just a really basic level fact. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I, I mean, I, th I think you know, it, it is changing. There are a number of people that Tim and I will come across, um, and, and yourself as well, I'm sure, who who are willing to sort of accept, or not even willing, but but happy to embrace it, because I think they'll understand that by by embracing data and, and the numbers, as you said, or as you alluded to, you'll be able to tell the story more effectively. Um, and I think that that it will take time. And I think in a way, you know, we may well go on to it, but you know. Tim and I have written in the book, and, and many people have said T20 is almost a different sport to cricket mm -hmm. or to, to, to test cricket. Um, and maybe in a way, it, it will it will develop its own uh, its own breed of writers, so to speak. You know, it, that you know, no, just as as playing test cricket and T20 cricket and doing them both well is exceptionally difficult. Perhaps writing about both of them well is difficult because they are so different. Mm. Um, and, and I think you'll see. Um, you'll probably see over the coming years more and more writers uh, specialise in T20 because it requires um, such a different outlook on on the game uh, to test cricket. And as you said, sort of being being uh, literate with numbers and understanding and understanding how the, the game works from a data side of things is really important. Um, and, I, and I think that as a result, yeah, as I said, you'll see people just specialise in writing about T20. And as a result. Um, you know that, that language and lexicon that we talked about hopefully will develop, and and, and hopefully people's understanding outside the media, uh, well, uh, yeah, into the media first, and then outside the media will grow as well. At this point, I want to say that uh, the discussion that you, Tim, uh, Freddie, uh, and had with the Karthike about the specialization of uh, skills with respect to you know conventional four-day, five-day cricket versus T20. Uh, I thought that was a very enlightening discussion, so people should definitely listen to that. Two, another thing I wanted to mention is where in the book you talk about Ricky Ponting in 2005, you know, think people dressed up in wigs and retro uniform and thinking it's just uh, hits and giggles. Uh, and then Ricky Ponting turning around and becoming one of the most sought-after coaches in T20 with you know, tremendous emphasis on data. Um, that itself tells a story. I mean, people can read that in the book. That itself tells a story of, you know, where the sport is and people need to get on the train sooner, sooner than later. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I mean, we, we had conversations with, with Ricky Ponting, with Raul Dravid, and they were both really talking about the, the level of tactical, strategic kind of sophistication in, in T20. And those are both, those are both titans of, of test cricket, obviously. And, and, you know, and, and we talked with Ponting, and he he basically says, you know, actually, strategy is is really more important um, in T20 than than in Test cricket, which is an incredible thing to say. Mm -hmm. and shows the level of you know level of thought and stuff that goes in. It's just so interesting. I think you know what there's a, probably a duty of journalists to do is to sort of translate that to and convey that and convey those stories as well. You know, this is what US sports writing is very good at. It uses data to to tell a great story, a great human interest story. Actually, Moneyball, the original book, is actually about, you know, a very nerdy thing, how a team is using, you know, inefficiencies and data to gain an edge. And it, it illuminates that through through stories. And that's and sometimes that's where data's great and it actually helps you find more interesting stories. Um, which is, you know, so that's kind of more, you know, that's fusing, if you like, new and old, old-fashioned journalism. But the, um, yeah, but I think I think where T20 is is different to other sports is that the the discourse around around the game has not yet caught up with the discourse inside the game, mm. and by that I mean the the level of kind of conversation. I think Raul Dravid said this before: the level of conversation that's happening inside dressing rooms is at a way more advanced level than that happening in the media around those same games. 
Um, and that obviously we hope our book goes a little way to bridging that gap and it will be bridged in the years ahead because I think by, by doing that, you know, it just makes it T20 much more interesting for, for all of us and, and actually we, you know, it helps us to appreciate it more on a, a deeper level. Uh, Freddie, on following up on what Tim's just said, you know, you work with uh, broadcasters, you're currently in Australia uh, working with one of the local broadcaster Fox there um, and, you know, I've seen you work with other broadcasters as well in other parts of the world. Um, so what is your experience? Why is that level of discourse around T20 um, that much higher, especially on with the uh, ex-cricketers um, Who's, who who do this job on commentating on T uh, Twenty? There are a few, obviously, exceptions, but why isn't that the rule? <laughs> well, I mean, I, th- I think um, I think the the discussions that go on in the commentary box, aside from one or two individuals, are nowhere near, as Tim said, nowhere near as developed as the conversations that go on uh, in the dressing room. I think we're still at a point where there is, a, you know, even between many ex players. Um, and I, I won't name any names, but you know there, there are a lot of people that I'll come across who, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taken aback sometimes at their sort of not their lack of understanding, but it's you know it, it's I don't, I don't think they necessarily think about it in, in much detail. It's just another game of cricket for them, and they'll be translating their knowledge from from Test cricket and 50 over cricket to the T20 game. And as we've sort of alluded to, that that doesn't really work. Hmm. Um, I think there, there there are a number of guys that I've worked with who were who have worked in dressing rooms. Uh, I mean, I've worked with Ricky Ponting at Sky, and I've worked with Warren at Fox and Sky, and obviously they've both been they've both been in IPL dressing rooms, both as players and as coaches. Uh, Mike Hussey as well, and you can see a clear difference in the way that they think about the game um, to, to to guys who haven't played T Twenty cricket or haven't been involved in T Twenty dressing rooms. And in a way, I think that's probably understandable because, as we've said, like unless you really sit down and think about it. Um, and, and get into the nitty gritty of it. I think it's it's sort of understandable that you're going to translate your knowledge from from longer forms to shorter forms. <laughs> whether we're, whether a commentator being paid to do that should you know mm. should be doing that is another matter. But you know the, I, I I can understand or sympathise with with the sort of quite basic uh, interpretation of a T20 game as just a sort of shorter version of 50 over cricket, for example. Um, and I think it will take time. Um, and hopefully, as Tim said, the book will be part of this. Um, but 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 uh, hopefully over time people will begin to look at C20 through a different lens, and and that will hopefully lead to to, to uh, a, le- a level of understanding outside the dressing room um, that, that matches the level of understanding in the dressing room. Obviously, you're never going to have a complete matchup. I can imagine that the discussions that go on in you know Manchester United's uh, dressing room are very different to the discussions that go on in the columns of newspapers in the UK. But but th- but they're certainly closer. Um, you know the, the, the writing and analysis of strategy in football is, is far more, or, or American sports as well. To use that example again, is far more advanced than we get in T Twenty cricket. Um, and hopefully, hopefully that 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 will change over time. And I think that um, yeah, d- data is is central to that. Um, but I think it's the job of us us in the media um, to try and sort of break the barriers down between what are quite intimidating numbers. And convert them into sort of uh, you know an understandable form, and that's why the sort of the language is so important. Yeah, and I think whereas Test cricket is really more of a game of pure skill, a game of massive skill, but by that I mean over five days, kind of raw quality should should out. T um, Twenty is more of a, a poker game, and that extends from how you build your team to to how you play a game and getting the matchups right. You know, I think it's. In some ways, it's easier to win as an inferior side in T20 than it is in tests. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
Vim points about thinking your opponent is is heightened, and it's also heightened because every ball, you know, every ball is an event. You can't, you know, Ponty talks about you could you can map games to to the over, and you know, he said every single ball is like a, a set play almost, you know, and that that is different to Test cricket where it is, you know, what Jason Gillespie calls a war of attrition. Yeah, um, and, and we, we I, I love Test cricket, but those are two very very different things. And then rather than just appreciate one of them, the longer one, and kind of both the other one, we should appreciate both in different ways. I think we uh, not try to load the book with a lot of data, but occasionally have thrown in some key numbers. One of the things is uh, that caught my eye was uh, um, in, I think, the opening chapter itself, he talked about uh, the scoring attempts. Uh, yeah. how, about how it's like a bit more than 90 in T20 and a bit more than 50 in uh, test matches. So that's basically the number of balls that people try to score runs off. Um, however, as you know, as well as I do, singles don't do nothing. Uh, so if somebody scores a single <laughs> and could have 100%, uh, then you have only 120 runs in a T20 match and that's not going to win you anything. Um, is there... This is specifically to you, uh, Fred, and uh, Tim, you can join in later, uh, which is that are there uh, tracking of boundary attempts, uh, whether it's fours or sixes? Is there an active tracking of uh, which bat- batsmen or hitters try to go for sixes? And is there a sound yeah, way well, that is tracked? Yeah, well, we've, we've, we've got a measure at Crickviz called attack rating, which essentially... Um, it's every, every single shot that is played, um, so a drive, a cut, a pull, um, has, an, has an average strike rate. So if we're looking at um, across all of T20 cricket history, um, we know that, uh, and I'll pluck this figure out off the top of my head, I'm not saying I know exactly what this was, but let's say sure. a pull shot, let's say it has a strike rate of, a, of 200. Mm. Um, by, by aggregating the strike rate of all the shots played by players, so let's say if I'm Tassara Pereira and I've played five pull shots, the average strike rate of those five pull shots is, again, it's 200. But if you add them up across all the different shots um, and you assume that the player has made a clean connection with that shot, obviously they won't always, um, that produces a figure which is essentially sort of their um, optimal strike rate. If they had made a clean connection with all those shots, what would their strike rate be? Hmm. And we call that an attack rating. Um, and essentially it's, it's, it's a pure as measure as, as we can get as to the, the level of attacking intent shown by a player. Um, and and that, that produces um, a list of guys, uh, and the guys at the top of that list are the guys you'd expect to see. You know, Son on Orion's right up there, Russell, Jasara Pereira. Um, and and, and that's a, that, that, that's a, there's a slight difference between something like that, which is a little bit more advanced, and just quite simply whether they were trying to hit a boundary or not. Because a slog is a more aggressive shot than a drive, both of which might be attempting to hit boundaries. But the slog is certainly the more aggressive shot, and that's reflected in... The average strike rate of a slog, I think, is higher than any other shot, and it will be probably sort of 250, 260. Um, so that, that, that measure that we've got at CrickViz is, is quite a useful way of essentially um, identifying uh, the level of attacking intent of players. Um, and, and, and these kind of measures are coming into the game, and hopefully, as I said, um, they'll, they'll help us under, understand the game in more detail. Those are measure, measures and metrics that tell you what is happening, um, you know, how to quantify... Um, an effort by a player and then compare it with other players and then you come up with a rating system, whatever, right? So that's fine. But at the core of any sport, 
um, what is happening. You know, in Test cricket, the idea is that you take the wickets. Um, you know, you have to take the wickets, uh, and the batsman is intent on defence and then scores runs. Obviously, you still have to score one more run than the opposite team to win. Um, so you can define what a contest is. What is the contest in T20? Is it bat v bat? Is it bat v ball? Or is it ball v ball? What is the contest here? How do you say this is a good T20, good contest? Uh, as This is to both of you. When you observe from outside uh, or from the inside, um, how, do you, how do you define a contest in T20? I think, I think a really good contest in T20 is when it's not just about the raw skills, it's when both teams are trying to out-hit each other and mm. out-think each other and you get you get move and, and counter-move. So you might have a team of very good uh, at bowling spin and there's a, you know, because the other team are practically weak against spin in the middle and then the other team has a number eight or nine who, you know, who doesn't last very long but he can hit spin and they bring him in, you know, they promote him middle of the innings surprisingly to counter the spin of the other team. That's like a really interesting game that's going on there. And there's, there's lots of different levels. So I guess I, I, I like it when when things, yeah, when teams are being, well, obviously the skill's very high, but also when, when teams are being smart and they're sort of, you, they're giving their players the best chance of being being, being successful and they're, they're thinking about how to use them in the best way. That that's That's a really interesting contest. And I suppose that's, but I, but part of me actually does really appreciate um, the kind of bowling teams. I remember Sunrisers in the IPL in 2018, you know, when they mm-hmm. were consistently defending, you know, 130, 140. And there was something very compelling about watching them. And, and they obviously had Kane Williamson. Um, and he was so, you know, so smart at judging, you know, good scores on 140, 150 wickets. And that was very compelling, too. Um so yeah, I don't know. I guess I'd say there's there's lots of different ways at, to arrive at a, a good contest, but you you like it when te- when there's a smartness to it. I mean, you know, I, 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 I just just to jump in. I, sure. I'd agree with Tim massively about the smartness. It's it's it, you know there, there are times when where T20 has been over the last fifteen years sort of derided as a game of of slogging and of of uh, of, of kind of haphazard uh, bunch of players almost just going out there and you know. Bowlers trying to lat, just trying to bowl Yorkers or trying to bowl as fast as they can, and batsmen trying to hit them out of the park. Um, but when, when there is a sort of subtlety to it, it, it is a lot more interesting, and I think you can appreciate it as a tactical game. I mean, for me, um, it's, it's quite often shown up in the IPL. There are some teams who, who really do struggle to get their head around the sort of tactical side of things. Um, but, but I mean, in the last couple of years, I think we've seen uh, CSK against Sunrisers has always been a fascinating matchup, and then. CSK against Mumbai has been another one. These are probably three of the standout teams of the last sort of five, four or five years, um, and, and, and particularly Chennai against Mumbai is, is a great is a great contest because Chennai are, have, have been have been uh, particularly successful against everyone else except Mumbai, mm-hmm. who seem to have sort of found a way to stop them, um, and that's largely built on some pace pace bowling prowess. Um, obviously, Chennai's success is, is is built on their their ability to play and bowl spin at their home stadium where the, where the ball turns and the pitches are slow and low. Mumbai come in with a very different game plan, uh, largely built around pace bowling. And Mumbai is Mumbai the only team with a positive head-to-head against Chennai. And I think you know, that these kind of contests are, are, are when you sort of appreciate the, the more nuanced side of T20 rather than it just being a sort of hitting contest uh, that you might get when you know, say, say Brisbane Heat are playing on a flat track at the Gabba 
and and it's it's simply a, a it, it is it does just become simply who can hit the most, you know who who can who can attack the most effectively but, uh, which which is interesting but i think that there's more to it than that and i think you 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 can appreciate that more when you sort of see as i said two teams that match up well like chennai and mumbai no yeah, i i, I want to follow up on oh. freddy's point uh, isn't that uh, brisbane v whoever type of match isn't that the purest expression of um, T20 from the batting point of view now you have somebody in your team let's say uh, they're playing renegades and renegades have um, you know them let's say comes a day where bumrah can be playing for renegade or uh, whoever <laughs> else right uh, um, then you you know you can try you know sure it's a flat wicket but you can try but a really good T20 bowler that knows the areas he needs to hit and hits them uh, really well uh, would you know may not be able to prevent the batsman from hitting all six uh, balls out of the park but if he prevents it three out of the six attempts then the, they are guaranteed to come yeah, out on top sure, def- definitely i mean that, yeah i mean that, that no that is interesting in of itself as well I'm, i wasn't sort of uh, necess- well I, i probably i probably did unfairly downplay the sort of um the interest of of a game on a flat track they you know they, they are interesting as well but it's a very different challenge it becomes um i i guess it becomes it, it probably is as nuanced um i mean this is probably demonstrating the difficulty in understanding the game you know from 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 just glancing at a match on a flat track you just you you probably do just think it is a hitting contest which mm-hmm. it is to a degree but you're right there are, you know that there's an element of of the bowler having to try and second guess the batsman and and yeah as you said if the bowler can escape from the over with you know one or two dot balls and he ha- however he's got to that point you know whether it be a wide yorker or you know a certain plan with a certain field mm-hmm. that he that he's sort of that he that he's come to that point um that you know that then that, that there is nuance and detail and strategy there that is really you know that is key to the contest um just because it's a it's a 200 place 200 game doesn't rob it of that i mean, um, uh, so no, I mean it's, it's there, are, that, there are many different types of games it, it's funny that um 200 v 200 is not in my point of view that's you know that's you're scoring less than two runs a ball um you know so basically if you hit two sixes in an over and four dot balls basically that's you're scoring at uh, two runs a ball um, which is the which is how the west indies won won, the, won two world cups you know well in a nutshell yeah, yeah i i agree right so they built their side with uh, people that can clear the boundary with ease um, you know uh, all-rounders as well as the bowlers obviously you had gale up top as well that seems to get to the idea of the contest in t20 more than you know you could some you could put a uh tricky wicket where you know 130 place 128 right sure there is drama so there is that's good but it's not really t20 in test cricket the playing surface has a big role sure but that is test cricket you know why can't is it possible this is just question hypothetical question can uh, could the playing surfaces be standardized um almost like you know you have basketball you play indoors on hard court but courts are the same pretty much anywhere you play so is that possibility does that possibility exist so that t20 as a contest you know it's high scoring possibly um but at the same time it really separates the so to speak men from the boys meaning the big hitters and the bowlers that can control 
those big hitters actually come to the top, then you get I mean, to see a really good contest. They, 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 they could do that, but I think it would be a shame. I mean, you're always going to have differing boundary sizes, and the nature of the pitch hmm. is always going to, to a degree, change within the game itself. But I think one of the things that makes cricket a better sport than baseball is, is, is the variation in conditions. That I mean, you, you get it very slightly of the size of size of the grounds and baseball um, and I guess games being played at altitude are slightly different but yeah. essentially you know essentially um, they're, they're played in a, in a vacuum um, close to a vacuum you know that there is the ball doesn't the ball doesn't bounce um, and I think in T20 or cricket generally it's one of the beauties of the game that you do get the variety of conditions and you know recently we saw you know I th- and I th- well recently in the CPL we saw Guyana have a fantastic run of 11 consecutive wins and that was largely founded on their their ability to play at home on, on their low, slow pitches there. Mm-hmm. And we've seen Chennai do something similar. Uh, RCB, uh, you know, as much as they are a laughing stock in many respects, have built... Have built <laughs> I mean, you guys, you guys spent the whole chapter on it. So. <laughs> have, 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 spent, have built their game around, um, you know, a, a flat home pitch. And, and, and I think the differences in conditions are what make the game so interesting. Um, I, I think it's, it, it adds to, to, the, to the intrigue. Um, for, for teams to have to go and succeed on different pitches, uh, I think the danger danger with uh, sort of homogenizing conditions would be that, as you said, it would become it, the game would become less less nuanced and less varied, and I think that would be a shame. Um, in many, I mean, it's interesting because recently when the when the ECB were planning for the hundred, um, there was talk about um, playing on artificial pitches. To, 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 for that reason, basically, to make sure that contests did always produce relatively high-scoring games, I don't think it's something that they're going to pursue now. Um, mm. But it's, it, it does show that the sort of the, the administrative side of the game is thinking about this because you know high-scoring games generally are considered to be the ones that are most interesting to newer fans. Um, and, and I think you know a newer fan would rather watch a, a 180 plays 180 than a 120 plays 120. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will be interesting to see how much that influence uh, does lead to, to, to administrators pushing for more or for flatter pitches essentially you know we already see them bringing the boundaries in I think it would be a shame if they were to, to, um, to, to encourage the production of flatter pitches and, and rob the game of the variety that I think makes it so interesting I actually think we, we, we will probably go the other way and I think as as the simple fact of winning and losing becomes more important to teams you know they want to win more it it has a bigger bearing on their bottom line, their profit and loss. I think we'll see home advantage become more of a thing and things, teams will will think more creatively about the wickets, about the pitch dimensions, which is a huge thing as well, about you know other even specific shots that their players tend to be very good at. So could you bring the boundary more on one side, less than the other mm. and so on? So I, I actually think we'll see more teams go down the kind of Chennai-Guyana route of being you know, pretty pretty creative about home advantage. And I, I love home advantage. I think, you know, that's one of the things that it's, it's very, it's great to see two teams and, you know, Guyana are favorites when they play at certain ground and they wouldn't be if they're playing on a, you know, a flatter mm-hmm. wicket that suits Seamus more and, and so on. And that, that's a, that creates intrigue on a lot of, a lot of levels. So I think, I think it's a good thing. And I think, I think teams will become more, more, more ruthless in how they can use it. Because if, if you're, if you're playing on, you know, basically a middle-of-the-road pitch, well, that means for any away team, it's not going to be as, as you know, as, as challenging as if you're, you know, you're going to Guyana and you're playing on T20 exactly how one specific team would, would like to play it. I hope you're completely wrong, Tim, that, uh, you know, the home advantage teams driving towards lowering the score are controlling. I mean, you can control the dimensions and stuff based on the skills of the batsmen, but uh, I think having a... 
playing surface that is kind of uniform across allows you to study the sport better and understand what the sport is telling us in terms of what, where the contest is. Whereas if you have one day um, sticky wicket, another day flat wicket, somewhere in between, and the contest is all over the place. I, I get that they, you know, there is, it changes from one to another, but you, you know we, we've talked about how T20 is very different from cricket, so to speak, and people used to get very defensive about that. Uh, if you made that comment, uh, you know, uh, I remember uh, having Karthikeya on the podcast, and uh, Cricket Info comment section lit up uh, when he said T20 is not cricket. And he was right. And mm-hmm. right now you are making that argument too. And people are a lot more receptive of that, uh, perhaps because they're trying to understand, they're understanding T20 better now. Wouldn't you say that if, if we go back to what you are uh, suggesting is going to happen, Tim, uh, I would say that, you know, T20 does not differentiate itself from cricket. It's, it just still is like, oh, uh, you know, uh, the underling of, the multi-day cricket rather than a sport on its own, isn't it? Well, I, mean, I, I think I think it, it, it will begin to change. I mean, you're right. Karthikeya was one of the first people to, to say that, and he, he's right. And I think people are beginning to recognise that. Um, and, it, and I think it will. I mean, cr- cricket or T20 has leaned on cricket early on because of its, you know, its stars. You saw in, in, the, in the at the start of the IPL. Um, each team was assigned an icon player, apart from Chenna, I think. Um, each, each team was assigned an icon player, and these were icon players who had obviously made their name in, in longer forms of cricket, and that was necessary because at that point in time, T20 had, was so young, and there were no T20 stars. But you, it, you know, we're seeing now, and we, we, we talk about this in the book, the, the non-signing of Ganguly in 2011 was, it was a seminal moment when essentially... Uh, Kolkata said, "We don't care about what you've done in other forms of cricket. We're we're you know pick you, we're picking our team based on your ability in T20. And mm-hmm. it, you know th- there is still a hangover from that, right? Like as you said, that, you know people will still almost want the players like Williamson and Coley and Root and Smith to have a place in T20 because it almost feels like it legitimizes it as a sporting contest. I'm not quite as far down the path of you as saying I don't think that there's a place for any of those batsmen. I think there probably <laughs> is still." Um, I think um, certainly with the way the game is played now, there is still scope for having someone like that sort of that firewall player to come in and, and repair a team who are 20 for three, for example. But what we're seeing is we are seeing a divergence in the way that T20 is played uh, and understood in the dressing room. And that will naturally, uh, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully at a faster rate than we've seen over the last few years, but that will lead to a change in the way that people will view the game and understand the game. And ultimately, you know, we're now seeing players who are essentially T20 players only, and they are some of the best players in the world. So, I mean, Andre Russell is, is the best T20 batsman in the world right now, um, and he only really plays T20 cricket. He obviously played a little bit of 50-over World mm-hmm. Cup this year, um, but couldn't really get through it from a fitness perspective. Um, and then you've got guys like Sunil Narayan, who basically only play T20 cricket, and he's the best at what he does. Um, uh, I think that, that that is telling in the sense that the two guys who are dominating uh, batting and bowling are both specialists. Um, and again, this goes back to sort of what we spoke about with Carter Care in, in that podcast. So as, as Sebastian said, I recommend you listen to that as well. Um, but, the, but, but essentially, as the game becomes more serious or is taken more seriously, it will move away or step out of the shadow of, of, of uh, test cricket or cricket more generally if we're going to 
um, clearly demarcate them as different sports. Um, and, and, and as that happens, as I said, I think that will change the way that we look and understand the game and ultimately we'll understand it better if we, if we stop looking at it through the prism of, of, of test cricket or longer forms of cricket. I mean, you guys mentioned in the book too um, about uh, the innings of Brendan McCullum, 158, uh, in the opening game of uh, IPL um, against RCB. And after the game, um, Lit Modi goes to McCullum and says, you know, thanks for saving basically IPL, <laughs> right? And it's in the first game and he's like, his eye, you know, the whole thing was hinged on that. He didn't, you know, even though they had icon players like Kumble and Lakshman and Tendulkar, um, the person that really, you know, gets IPL going is Brendan McCullum and with the batting. And I think that itself tells us something about T20 and where it ought to go, uh, which is, you know, score faster and uh, score more. Administrators, if they work towards that, I think that would be um, sport, uh, which would be fantastic and very distinct from uh, how uh, we see cricket. Would you agree, Tim? Uh, how, are you convinced now? <laughs> um, no, I, I, I like I like bowlers. I, I like bowlers being important too. Yes, absolutely. What exactly no, no, no I'm not saying. Yeah. I mean, the bowlers are still, you know, meaning you have to be a good bowler to have impact in T20. You can't just, you know, because uh, just because you're a finger spinner, left arm, left, and you can bowl flat darts and the pitch is dodgy, you're getting away with it. No, you have to be really good at bowling darts, whether it's a, you know, you, even if it's a flat wicket. And if you land certain lengths, you can hit it, you know. Sure, uh, Ashwin said six bad balls is, bad, is a good over in T20. Um, but what he means by that is, I think, uh, six bad balls per the definitions of test cricket, where... Yeah, uh, and well-constructed bad balls. Yeah, well-constructed, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And no, I think, actually, that's one of the things, kind of a decade ago, there was people saying that, you might get a team of David Hutton. I think it was John Hutton who said that you know they could become a perfect T20 team. They can all bowl. They can obviously they're all good bats and they can all bowl sort of serviceable off spin. Well, thankfully that really hasn't happened at all because if you're an average bowler, you go the distance. Yes, and absolutely. It, which 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 is good. I mean that and that's as RCB have learned to their cost and <laughs> um, and and that. <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't. No, 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 no. Hey, hey. Open, open goal. Um, every year, every year, their fans, when before the IPL starts, they have this tag, uh, hashtag on Twitter that uh, this year the cup is ours. <laughs> they say that in Kannada, the local language, uh, and it's so every IPL follower takes the piss, so feel free. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, that, that's been interesting that the, the idea, and that kind of links to the idea of bowlers, that it's bowlers who win matches more because if you if your fifth bowler is weak you know they used to be able to go for for 33 in the middle overs now they'll go for 50 or 50 or 60 um, and that that's how that's how it, it should be um so yeah you, you've got to have have good enough bowlers and you've you've got to have you've got to have an attack as well that's flexible enough to get the right matchups you can buy you can bowl the right bowlers for the right bats at the right times um, and that's, that's yeah, that's absolutely imperative, uh, essential to see twenty success. So just to jump jump in with one thought quickly. I mean, just on the Ashwin um, six badly six well constructed bad balls. I mean, as you said, that, that, that's an interesting. It's a, it's a fascinating comment. Probably one of the most illuminating comments that's ever been made about T Twenty in a way. Um, but you're right. It's very much viewed from the prism of. 
test cricket, right? So he's mm-hmm. saying bad balls from a test perspective. Now, one, one of the most interesting interviews um, that we did in the book, and Tim actually spoke to him, um, was uh, with Carl Crow, who is mm-hmm. um, some of Ryan's bowling coach. And, and Narayan's coach, Crow, he, he, he spoke about how one of the best skills um, for a T20 spin bowler is the ability to get cut. And by that, he means, you know, bowling essentially a ball that's slightly back of a length, tight, tight in line, not too wide, that, that the batsman can do little more than essentially cut out to the, to the sweeper on the offside because the cut shot is, is a very difficult shot to hit for, for six, certainly, and four, you've got to place it well. So what, 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 what's interesting about what Crow is saying there is he's putting a positive spin on essentially what Ashwin was sort of saying, I think, mm-hmm. is, you know, he, Carl Crow is saying it's a good thing to be cut. Think about it in a good way. He's looking at it from the T20 perspective. He's saying that's a good ball. Um, you know, it's, it's short, it's short, it's, 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 as I said, slightly tight in line, not too wide, but, but for, you know, that, that's essentially, you're, you're getting the batsman to probably score a single, and he's viewing that in a positive way, and I think that the difference between how, how Crow and how Ashwin speak about what essentially are two very similar things, because um, I think a bad ball for Ashwin, you know, in a test, in a test match would be that ball that Crow's talking about, slightly short and slightly wide. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're talking about it in different ways is really interesting. I think what we'll see over the next 10 to 15 years is a rise and an increase in the way that Crow describes what Narayan is doing mm-hmm. to what Ashwin describes. And I think that that will help because I think, we, we, you know, a, a, short, a short wide ball that's cut for one is a good ball. Yeah. And, and, and we should treat it as such. And I think it's really important that we understand that. And, that's, and I think that comes from separating our understanding from, uh, of test cricket and T20 cricket. And, you know, Ashwin's comment is not wrong. Um, but I think the evolution of his comment is what Crow talks about, and mm-hmm. I think it'll be really interesting to see how that unfolds in, in the coming years. Uh, I had uh, spoken to Chris Green uh, from New South Wales and uh, Guyana yeah. Amazon Warriors and all that, uh, and he um, talked about that aspect of it too. And it's he's not keen on bowling a maiden over. He doesn't want to bowl six dot balls because you know if you bowl two dot balls and now the odds are against you because the batsman is going to take risks. So you'd rather give a single, easy single. And get the batsman turned around, uh, and uh, now ball at a new batsman. That has yeah, and, and this is one of the really, I think, really important ideas that we talk about. We talk about it with, with Brennan McCullum actually in in the book. He he talks about the idea that if it's if it's your time as a batsman to sort of season over, then maybe. <laughs> You know, maybe sometimes a dot ball is a better result. If you hit a four, you know, maybe the next ball. So you want to, you should be trying to hit a boundary again. He talks about how the old four one is bad cricket. Yes, you know, the old classic four. Then, but the interesting as well out of that is if you've hit a boundary first or second ball of the over, you might think you know how to hit two more boundaries the rest of the over. So maybe that equation is just dot four dot four, and that's actually a better equation for the batting side than one 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 two or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is I think we'll see this more and more. So often you see, I mean, when you have Chris Lim batting with Sunil Narayan, that's a good example of that. So you have one batsman who's much better against pace and one who's much better against spit. Mm. So when when Sunil Narayan is on strike to a spinner, then he should not accept the single. To be honest, the first ball of the over. Yeah, you know, he he, sh- he should say, "My job here, I'm going to hit minimum two boundaries this over, and I'm going to try and, you know, if I can get one of them can be six, then that's ten runs, or if I hit three fours, that's twelve runs." You know, so and and he should he should think that as opposed to get his you know his partner who's nowhere near as good against spin and the risk 
you know, the risk equation is less advantageous for Chris Lynn to attack spin. So I think we'll see that more. We'll see. And it doesn't need to be just in the power play or at the death. You know, maybe we'll see in the 13th over one player is much better against spin. And he will just say, I don't want any single here, but I back myself to hit a couple of boundaries. And that, and I think that would be a really, I think we will see that evolution. That would be very interesting. And that will sort of ratchet up the sort of level of sophistication and kind of in game theory, really, in T20 to another level. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the 100 is now on the scene. The draft was held uh, recently. Freddie, you were there. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you were there too, I believe. Um, yeah. um, and in the book, you guys mentioned about uh, Martin Crow's, the late Martin Crow's Cricket Max effort and the Hong Kong Sixers, about how they didn't really succeed because they deviated too much from the sport's underlying norms, uh, to quote you guys, uh, or whoever said that. Um, uh, do you see um, the 100 in England and the T10 in the UAE? Is it, uh, in your opinion, is it varying too much from the game's underlying norms or uh, not enough to cause I don't think so. I think um, it will be really interesting to see what happens with the 100. I think t- T10... Well, yeah, I mean, but both of them, in fact. Um, I, I think, you know, while, whilst the 100 is changing quite a significant thing in, in the number of balls in and over, um, I, I, I still think it could well, um, it, it could well succeed. Um, oh, I think, I think it probably will succeed. I think the interesting thing will be whether other team, other countries adopt it. Hmm. Um, I, was talking to, I was talking to someone else about this yesterday on a different podcast, and they were saying, they asked me this, the same question, and I think the interesting thing will be, I think it would be asking yourself why would the IPL because ultimately I think the IPL would would lead any significant change on a global level. Why would the IPL change from a tw- twenty over tournament to a, to a hundred ball tournament? And I can't quite make an argument for them doing so. Like it's so popular as it currently is, it works so well. I don't see why the IPL would need to change if. If the IPL did change and follow, you know, the hundreds lead, then you know maybe the hundred would ultimately replace T20. Mm. But I don't, I, I don't, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to come up with an, a reason as to why they they would, um, and, and I can't come up with one. And also, you know, that it is a, the hundred is a, a slightly shorter game than T20, which I suppose lends slightly less time to advertising. Not necessarily yeah. advertising breaks, but that but that's advertising in the ground, and you know, just generally the time on screen is less. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, that would that's a significant reason as to why the IPL wouldn't go to 100 balls. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, you know, as I said, the IPL is hugely popular, hugely successful as it is now and I don't see why it would change but it will be interesting to see whether you know may, may, I suppose that there is a potential argument that maybe other competitions like the Big Bash or the CPL um, became a hundred ball I know that over here in Australia there's quite a lot of um, there are quite a lot of issues with over rates here and, and games finishing very late and kids being in the stadium you know late late at night and, and for a tournament that's designed to be family friendly that's often sort of looked at in an edited night so maybe you know a hundred ball format would be able to be, be over, start and finish more, more quickly and, and, and therefore would, would benefit that um, side of things um, so you know it's interesting I, I, I don't see that the, the, the sport itself changing significantly enough for it to sort of not work as cricket it's more just a case of whether commercially um, there are benefits to, to other countries adopting a hundred ball format what about what do you what think of uh, T20, T10's popularity Tim um, so I, I think we'll base a situation now where T10 is quasi-exhibition cricket and is really a gateway to 
the longer-ish format, i.e. T20. And I think T20 has now a level of sporting integrity, which we've seen over the IPL, we've seen over the World Cup, which, you know, that is built up a lot there, and it's going to build up more. So I don't see that, that, that you know, being sacrificed for a, a, a new format. Um, so I think I think we'll sort of see more... I think the reason we might see more formats, though, is because is because new leagues want to differentiate themselves. It's such a crowded marketplace. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we talk about how many leagues are actually they're losing money and so on. So you can differentiate yourself. That makes some commercial sense. But you're differentiating yourself because you want to have a point of difference from the IPL, which is the kingpin. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, one of their you know things is their T Twenty league. Um, so I think we might see more different. We might see some differentiations and more kind of uh, countries doing what England have done. But I think that will be within the context of one to find a point of difference with the IPL, which is T, which is T Twenty. So we might we, we might see new formats, but I don't see the sort of two the twin pinnacles or the short format game, the IPL and the World Cup. I don't see them changing from T Twenty. Um, you guys mentioned about you know for me. Looking from the outside, T ten is more distilled um, form of T twenty where T twenty ought to be anyway, uh, where they're scoring. You you guys mentioned about a game. uh, I think Northern Warriors they scored one hundred eighty three for two in ten overs, nineteen sixes and ten fours. That's what twenty nine boundary shots basically. It's four or six in sixty balls, which is fifty percent are going to four or six. That's just fantastic. Fantastic, and T20 would be well served to take that model, incorporate that, um, and with all that, still they only lost two wickets. So there is something to be learned from it that you can score more than three runs a ball. So basically, can I, can I, yeah, just just jump in on one interesting thought, and um, there's no sort of answer to this. And if, if they did, then I feel like I could. You'd be able to create a very successful team if you knew the truth to this answer. But um, we talk about, you know, you're alluding there to, uh, to, to to how T20 teams should essentially be more attacking um, with the bat in hand. I think Tim's written about this a lot, so have I, about how teams often aren't bowled out. Um, yeah, very yeah. rarely bowled out in T20, and essentially there's an inefficient use of resources. Yes. That is certainly a, 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 a very valid line of argument. The only counter to that is that we, talk, we also spoke about um, on this show how a, fifth, a weak fifth bowler is, is very damaging and how um, you know, now that batting is as developed as it, as it is, if, if they're a weak one or two bowlers, it's possible to really take them down and score you know, 40, 50 runs off their mm-hmm. four over. Um, the, 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 that essentially is, is placing an emphasis on the importance of having strong five bowlers, right? Yeah. So you need a strong bowling attack. So in, in, in a way, that the, the sort of flip side is that the C20 is maybe a game of specialists where you have six or seven batsmen who, who, who bat and are very good at batting and then four or five bowlers whose job it is to bowl, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, you, if you're focused on building a strong bowling attack... You're going to end up with, you know, guys uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven who aren't you. you hopefully, aren't going to want to bat. So, while, whilst it's easy saying, "Oh, sure, you know, um, you've, you've got ten players to face 120 balls. They can all face, you know, an average of or eleven players rather to face 120 balls. It's an average of ten and a bit balls per per player." 
that, that, that's a, a simplistic argument, I think. Um, you know, the, but you, you don't want your number eight to be facing any balls, really. Right. Um, I, I, if if you've built a, oh, it depends obviously on the depth or the quality of of batting in your of your bowlers, right? But but I, I think we'd agree that, that trying to create a strong bowling attack is really important. And if you create a strong bowling attack, you're probably going to be compromising the depth of your batting, and therefore. Um, I think slightly undermining that argument that you need to, you know, try and maximise the the resources in a way that suggests that you know your number nine and ten are going to be facing deliveries because I'm not sure that is the optimal way. And this is essentially the the the, the balance and and the, the the dilemma at the heart of T20 between attack and defence that makes it so interesting. Um, and I think you know getting that that team balance right is 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 the foundation of. Of T20 strategy, and it's really interesting because I think while that argument that Tim and, and lots of people make regularly about u- utilizing um, your your full batting order is, is a really interesting one, it, it doesn't always hold true, especially because, as I said, about the importance of a strong bowling attack. I have two, com- I, I, I have two comments can, on it, yeah. and then uh, you guys can comment on that. Uh, one is, um, you know, it's probably further down the road that uh, you know Andre Russell and people like him are not exceptions, but are more like the rule, you know. I'm sure the new generation of players that watch how the sport uh, has the money, and you can make a very good career. So I think with more players capable of hitting the long ball as well as bowling very good uh, three overs, uh, etc., then you have a lot more flexibility where you can bat one to. 10 and actually bowl 11 to 7, whatever. Uh, and second comment is, you know, similar to how American League in baseball versus National League, where National League, the pitcher actually gets to bat, which basically takes you one good batting spot in the lineup of nine. Whereas in American League, you have a designated hitter. So is that a possibility as well in cricket, where when you bat, you only you can use resources that are actually hitting resources, and when you defend the target or bowl, um, you use only bowling resources. So on, on the second point, I mean, this was actually what the 100 discussed at one point. They were talking about having 12 players aside with only 11 batting and bowling. Hmm. And the idea of that is that you'd make the quality, quality hard because you wouldn't have Chris Gale batting. Sorry, you wouldn't have Chris Gale fielding. You wouldn't have Lassie Valenga uh, batting. batting. Yeah. But the, the kind of the flip of that is actually, I think, one of the sort of charms of cricket is you, you, you see people weirdly at the top level doing things they're not particularly, they're not very proficient at, i.e., you know, Chris Martin batting or whatever. Um, and so I don't, I think it's quite wild into cricket. I mean, I wouldn't rule out change, but I don't see it as that as a need to. I think you know there is a sort of a endless fascination where we do see Talon as having to bat. I also think Talon's will become smarter about how they train their batting. You know, there's an argument if you're a number nine or ten, you don't need to be able to have a forward defence anymore. But mm-hmm. maybe if you can just be a guy who can hit ten or five or six balls every other innings, you become actually, you, yeah. you bring some value with, with, with your batting. And there's an argument because a ten or six innings, you know, you could have an inside edge for four and so on. So, a bit of luck so if you're prepared to to really go for it and and train your batting in such a way you know maybe it's you, it's easy you, you just become you just get a few skills of batting without the fun, fundamental skills and that still translates into someone with, with some some value at some stage or even if it's just a case of you know what what i do think sometimes is when teams lose an early wicket or two they become quite offensive in the power play because if they have you know one 
warrant one or two of their main batsmen together. They don't want to lose them. But if you, you know, maybe if you lose your second wicket in the in the fourth or fifth over, you should put, you know, there's argument you could put in a a number nine or ten to just say, right, can you just go and I want you to just go and hit the rest of the power play because I, you know, we have Steve Smith or Virat Kohli or whoever, and it's we, we're not going to ask them to go out and try and exploit that. So that's another thing to watch. And in terms of specialization, yeah, I, I think we will see. I think broadly the forces in the sport are moving towards specialization. There's the, obviously the economics, but also the skill. You know, there's a huge. The skills are so so different to those leaders in Test cricket that you know we, we call A. B. Villiers a unicorn because he's mm-hmm. you know master. You know, he was a master of Test, and he's he is he was and is master T Twenty. But to get to that level in in both is phenomenally hard. And you know, even players of the ilk of, of Virat Kohli, Steve Smith, Joe Joe. Root, you know, they, they still have a way to go to bridge that divide and be as valuable in T20 as they are in, in Tess and Ogby. They've got, actually got further away from that in the last few years. So, I, yeah, I do think we'll see more, more specialisation. I suppose the, yeah, in terms of the bowling, it is interesting. Will, yeah, the kind of all-runners debate is interesting because, for you know, as as teams become more ruthless about when they attack with their batting and you know we think teams probably should become a bit more back you know more attacking we've seen scores rise in recent years and that should probably can will probably continue at at some pace um then perhaps we'll see uh it'll get, it'll get harder to become an all-rounder if the stands get higher with, with bat and balls there's a few a few different things that are, are going on there i'm interested to see how they pan out any final thoughts freddie no, nothing to add really. I think that yeah, I mean that, that's it, the the. I think I well, other than I agree with Tim about um, sort of the, the the nuance or the it's a, the charm, I suppose of not 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 necessarily the charm of, of watching Chris Martin bat, but the, <laughs> the 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 challenge that that poses teams in terms of balancing their side mm. um, is really interesting. And I think you know while whilst the standard would be raised by as you know what Tim was referring to with having twelve players and guys that wouldn't have to field or bat or bowl. I think you know it is part of the game. You know, which we spoke about at the top. One of the reasons we wrote this book is is because you know it's a really popular format that not many people sort of are getting their heads round or trying to understand from a strategic point of view. And I think that the the the, the, the issue of balancing your side um, is at the heart of that. And I think it would be a shame to sort of lose that. Um, so you know it, that that is central to the challenge of, of strategy in T Twenty cricket is trying to find that balance between bat and ball. Um, so no, long long may that continue. Yeah, I don't think we want to make things too easy for people. You know, we want teams to have to make trade offs and compromises. That's part of the fascination. If you can pick, you know, twelve or thirteen players and just have the best eleven bat and field, that sort of takes away one of that, those central challenges. You know, I like the idea that you have to, you know, choose how how you use your resources when you're building a, a team and and so on. I think to take that away, you, you I mean, you'd gain a bit of quality, but I think you'd, you'd lose more than you'd gain. I mean, uh, you you still have control of you know you only have so much salary cap. That means you can't just buy the eleven best bat hitters and five best bowlers. You can't do that. So there are additional constraints on how sure. you can build a team. Yeah. So that kind of balancing act will never really go away. Um, but uh, this is finally a kind of a bizarre question to end the podcast on, which is you know the book runs for three hundred seventy pages. Uh, you've taken your time putting it together. Um, you know, 
did you get everything that you wanted to get in the book or was it like, ah, oh, you know, next edition, maybe we need to make something? Uh, I think there are always things that you think you could get in. I mean, we'd like to. I think we, we'd like to think that it's a fairly comprehensive history and account of of of, of T Twenty cricket so far. But there, you know, just you know, this debate about balancing your side. You know, it's something that we touch on. There's cha- a chapter where we look at why Chennai win and why Bangalore lose. Sort mm-hmm. of looks at um, how teams built, how teams are built, and how teams are put together. Um, but you know, it's not it's not something that. We explore in a lot of depth. Um, you know, the, the, there's only so much you can fit in a book. Um, so now I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, plenty of things will come up over the coming years where Tim and I um, ask ourselves whether we'll have to be adding a chapter or two at some point. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually really wanted to write um, another chapter at the end on how the West Indies won their third World Cup in T20. Unfortunately, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have to write wait until Australia next year to be able to, to write that one. Sweet. <laughs> People can buy where? Everywhere? Anywhere? Oh, on Amazon. Yeah, uh, uh, worldwide, uh, the best best place to get it is Amazon. Um, you can get the hard copy or get it on Kindle. Um, if you're in the UK, then buying it from a bookshop generally is, is, is slightly better. Um, but yeah, no, pl- please do go out and buy it because, um, yeah, we, we touched on quite a few of the subjects we've spoken about today and plenty more. And also we try and sort of, um, you know, talk about the human side of, of it as well. These guys are often dehumanized in the sense that they're just guys who go around the world playing for different teams in different countries and it's impossible to keep track of what they're doing at any point in time. But, but they are, they are uh, normal people with normal lives to a degree yeah. and it's interesting just to see how their lives have been transformed by the format as well. So there's a human side as well, a sort of strategic and, and technical side to the book too. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's for, a, people, for, for people that want to get some of the human side stories, if they want to get a teaser, they could go to... The Cricket Monthly published uh, the one on uh, the chapter on Kevin Pollard. Sorry, Kyron Pollard. Where, where did I get Kevin Pollard? Uh, <laughs> Kyron Pollard the other uh, that was published there. And then also you guys serialized it in uh, The Telegraph uh, as well. So you can get a taste of the book. And then I strongly recommend that people get it. Tim, you were going to say? Yeah, and I was just saying, um, an interview that Freddie did with Jay Dernbach, remember the old vilified Jay Dernbach, he talks about, you know, the actual the human impact of all the abuse he got on social media and how AB has ruined his career uh, with his great innings in the World Cup of 2014. Um, and that really kind of lifts the veil a little bit on what it's, what it's really like to be a, a bowler in T20, the kind of brutality of it and all the abuse you, you get yourself, you know, that you, you that you attract when you're a guy who bowls those overs at, at the death and, and and so on and that's uh, yeah that there's that's a really interesting read that that chapter and I think yeah it shows a whole whole different side of the game we often don't really think about I mean uh, he Jade tells you guys about the comment he got on social media oh my goodness it was horrible um, so you know if you want to find out what that comment was get the book. Oh, brilliant cliffhanger there from yeah. Subhash. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, Tim. All right, Freddie. Um, thanks, thanks for being on. Cheers. Thanks, thanks a lot, Cheers, mate. Mate. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks.